there, theater lovers. It's Bryn. I'm excited today to talk to you about Jennifer Barclay's Ripe Frenzy. It's a bit heavy, but beautifully written, and I feel very important for American audiences especially to be aware of. But first, some announcements. I Am A Theater Company in LA is doing an online New Works theater festival from October 22nd to the 25th called Together LA. Each performance will be streamed through Twitch for free, and each play is approximately 10 minutes long. They start at 7 p.m. PST, which is 10 p.m. EST, I believe. Any money raised during these performances goes to Color of Change. Want to watch a play whenever you want from the comfort of your own bed? Damascus, It's in Syria, by Kate Mully, is currently playing on Instagram. That's right, Instagram. Follow the handle at D period IIS period underscore A underscore play underscore four underscore IG and look in their saved stories to figure out the watch order, see the program, and more. A theater company I have previously mentioned, Hamlet Isn't Dead, is doing another online performance of a classic play, The Trials of the House by Mexican playwright and nun Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. It plays October 23rd and 24th at 10 p.m. EST. You can get your ticket through their website. Tickets require donation, I believe, but there's no set amount. Just pay what you can. My alma mater, Sarah Lawrence College, is doing another online reading of a new work by a student. This time, it's a play written by my friend and colleague, Molly Gordon, and directed by another good friend and colleague, Allie Thomas. The play is called Float, or How I Learned to Swim, and it premieres on October 14th at 8 p.m. EST. You can get your free ticket through the SLC Theater Instagram at SLC Theater Official, Theater RE, from the link in their bio. And finally, a little self-plug. I am currently working as a virtual game master for a company called Audio Escapes. Basically, I run a virtual escape room for you and as many as four other friends, five total people. Right now, we have three games available our pirate ship game, and two episodes of our Gangs of Manhattan series. However, we will be releasing the first episode of our spooky game series, Ghost House, on October 18th, just in time for Halloween. Use coupon code BRYN10, that's B-R-Y-N-N-1-0, to get $10 off and have me as your host. Go to www.play-audio-escape.com to book. All right, that's all I have for you guys announcement-wise. So let's dive into Ripe Frenzy by Jennifer Barclay. Jennifer Barclay is a Chicago-bred actor-turned-playwright who now lives in Washington, D.C. She has a degree in theater from Northwestern University and an MFA in playwriting from UC San Diego. She is currently an assistant professor of playwriting and performance at the University of Maryland. Her resume is extensive, and she has had her works developed and performed in affiliation with companies such as Steppenwolf, 
La Jolla Playhouse, The Old Globe, Red Cat, The Kennedy Center, Center Stage, Boulder Ensemble Theater Company, Andy's Summer Playhouse, American Blues Theater, the International Theater of Vienna, and the Edinburgh Fringe, among others. Ripe Frenzy, the play we are discussing today, won the National New Play Network's 2016 Smith Prize for Political Theater and the 2018 Dramatists Guild Fund Writers Alliance Grant. Ripe Frenzy was developed at Woolly Mammoth, the 2017 Ojai Playwrights Conference, NNPN slash Playpen, and had a 2018 NNPN Rolling World premiere at New Rep in Boston, Synchronicity Theater in Atlanta, and Greenway Court in LA. All right, y'all. Here's where we get into the nitty gritty of things. This play comes with some very serious trigger warnings. So if the following sounds too heavy for you to handle, I suggest skipping to the next episode if applicable. Trigger warning four, mass shooting, suicide, and death. Okie dokie. Now, a summary of Ripe Frenzy from New Play Exchange. Ripe Frenzy is set in a small town in upstate New York, where the high school is famous for having done the most productions of our town of any school ever. On opening night of the school's 40th production, a student opened fires with an AR-15. Time is slippery as the play submerges us in the before, during, and after of the shooting, using our town as a framework to examine what has become of our new American norm. Told from the perspective of the mothers of the town, the play questions our own culpability in the perpetuation of mass shootings in our country. This is a distinctly American play in that it is overtly critical of this very American problem of how we address the epidemic of mass shootings. I just want to reiterate that with proper gun control that is exemplified in many other countries, this play would not be as resonant, important, and heartbreaking. I believe it's necessary to address that to totally understand this work. But first, let's address the framework of this play. Another very famous play called Our Town. It was written by Thornton Wilder, American playwright and novelist, in 1937. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 1938. It was originally performed in Princeton, New Jersey at the McCarter Theater. This play is important to American theater history for a lot of reasons. Well, for one, it's experimentation with the meta-theatrical. The play takes place in the actual theater in which it is being performed, with the character of the stage manager being the narrator and central character. The stage manager directly addresses the audience, as well as bringing in guest lecturers and filling in some of the roles in the story. Now, what is the story exactly? Simply, the play tells the story of the fictional American small town of Grover's Corners between 1901 and 1913 through the everyday lives of its citizens. But there's a lot more to it than that. This play tackles a major theme of life, how most of us float through life without appreciating the little moments. There are three distinct acts with their own titles within the play. Act one, daily life. Act two, love and marriage. And act three, death and eternity. Each act is narrated by the stage manager who is following the life of Emily Webb. Through Emily, the stage manager introduces the audience to the fictional town of Grover's Corners and the many colorful residents within. 
We see Emily go from a child of around 12 in Act 1 to a young adult of 18 or 19 in Act 2 in which she is about to be married. I won't divulge too much more than that. I don't want to give any spoilers to those of you who may not have read it yet. But I think the most important thing to remember about Our Town while reading and analyzing Ripe Frenzy is the thematic content. Most importantly, Our Town discusses the transience of human life and how important it is to treasure everything about life from the bad to good, the small to large moments. Basically, live your life before it's gone. As I'm sure you've guessed from the summary of Ripe Frenzy and the trigger warning I gave earlier, it talks about a mass shooting at a school production of Our Town. The thematic content of Our Town then directly connects to that violent and horrible situation. Speaking of that violent and horrible situation, time to take a hard look at the mass shooting epidemic in America. It's hard, but it's integral to the analysis of this incredibly important work. Let's start off with the hardcore numbers, the less emotional bits. CBS News reported that in 2019, there were more mass shootings than days. According to the Gun Violence Archive, 2019 had the highest number of mass shootings in any year since the group started keeping track. Basically, there were 417 mass shootings in 2019. The Gun Violence Archive defines a mass shooting as any incident in which four or more people are shot, excluding the shooter. The Gun Violence Archive also states that there were a total of 15,381 gun deaths, including suicides, homicides, and accidents, in 2019. There were 29,568 gun-related injuries. The previous record for mass shootings per year was held by the year 2016 with 382 mass shootings. I know. It's more than enough for the average American to become desensitized to mass shootings and gun violence. There is a specific mass shooting reference multiple times throughout this play. A fictional shooting in a Michigan school by a boy named Brian James McNamara. This is a theatrical device that Barclay uses to discuss one of the big themes of the play. That the notoriety that the news and social media gives mass shooters perpetuates more shootings. According to the LA Times, Barclay used the details of a few separate incidents to create this fictional one. The killing of reporter Allison Parker and cameraman Adam Ward during a live broadcast, which the shooter recorded with a GoPro. The mass shooting at Sandy Hook. The mass shooting at Pulse Nightclub. And the mass shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School. It's incredibly sad to me that there are even this many to reference. Anyways, Barclay and her longtime collaborator, multimedia designer Jared Mitsoki, began to wonder whether news and social media were helping to perpetuate the violence of mass shootings by disseminating the horrifying details to anyone and everyone. All of these things together, along with a memoir written in 1999 from a mother of one of the Columbine shooters, A Mother's Reckoning by Sue Claybold, formed the source material that enabled Barclay to write this play and for Metsoki to design the projections that are so integral to the story. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about these projections. Number one, there's said to be pictures of the character's actual town, giving the title of the play Our Town a new meaning. And number two, 
The projections occasionally waver towards more depressing and slightly disturbing pictures of the town, which anger the main character, Zoe, as it is told to us that the projections are being operated by her son. Tiny spoiler, but not really. We never see her son, technically. We get to know him solely through Zoe's descriptions of him and through his projections, which I find endlessly fascinating. We get to know a character without ever seeing them or hearing them speak. Or do we? That's up to the audience to determine. Okay, now that we've covered all the important info, it's time for our reading. Today, we have Amelia Bethel reading one of Zoe's monologues from the very beginning of Ripe Frenzy, right after this ad read. And now, Amelia Bethel reading a monologue from the very beginning of Ripe Frenzy, playing the main character of Zoe. I have no patience for ugliness. I prefer to see the beauty in life. My son knows that. I'm not naive. I know there are ugly things out there. Positivity is a choice I make. It's a choice we can all make, I believe, to make the world a better place. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Our school, Tavistown High, as you've probably already heard, is famous for putting on the most productions of Thornton Wilder's Our Town of any high school in the history of the U.S. ever. Forty! Thirty-nine. Well, thirty-nine and (laughs) two-thirds. Anyway, we're in the Guinness Book of World Records, and it's always been a point of pride. Every student passing through gets to be in it at least once. There's a storage room here in the basement that's dedicated solely to our town costumes, props, and set pieces. Everything's been used and reused until it crumbles from the pressure. The Our Town of 1992 was a landmark production. And I don't say that just because I was in it as the lead, the stage manager. And yes, I know that traditionally that is a male role, but our director took a chance on me and our production became legendary because of how we staged Act 3. You know Act 3? Emily's dead? Oh, spoiler alert. Um, but the whole act is up on the hill in the graveyard in the rain. So imagine. Lights up. And the stage is bare except for a dozen empty chairs waiting. The audience waits. Nothing. They wait. It gets awkward. Then, just when everyone starts to wonder if something's gone wrong, whoosh! The back door to the theater opens. The audience turns around to see the first dead child. Character. Uh, Dead character. Adult character played by a child. Followed by all the other dead characters, including Emily. A procession of children pretending to be dead. Followed by the mourners, including George. Somber-faced, remarkable concentration, each carrying an umbrella. It was in this same theater. Decades of kids treading these boards, generations passing on the same roles, the same words. But now look. And soon it will be rubble. But 
But this was going to be our 40th production of Our Town. And because of the design concept, it was going to be groundbreaking. Thank you, Amelia, for lending your incredible talent to the podcast. To contact Amelia with professional opportunities, find her professional information in the show notes of this episode. This play can be hard to read, and I imagine it's difficult to watch as well. But it's also beautifully written, poignant, and poses very important questions to the American public. It doesn't take a side on gun control, per se, but it does heavily question the public and the news's involvement in perpetuating mass shootings by spreading details and making shooters famous, even if it is for something gruesome and horrifying. We as humans tend to have a morbid fascination with the gruesome and horrifying anyways. Just look at how many true crime podcasts exist. And I'm no exception. My favorite podcast is a dual true crime and paranormal podcast called And That's Why We Drink, so... But it's something that this play asks us to look at. Can we as a community stop the spread of this information so that other potential shooters don't have access to inspiration or have the ability to view mass shooters as celebrities or even, disgustingly, heroes? And that, as I discussed earlier, is one of the reasons why the presence of Barclay's fictional mass shooter, Brian James McNamara, is so important to the thematic message of the play. I honestly could make this whole discussion about the many different things the fictional shooter represents and comments on. He is the specter of every famous shooter whose name was shouted across the nation through news reports and whispered in hushed discussions. He's the visual manifestation of Zoe, the main character's, guilt over her own son and her desperate questioning of nature versus nurture. He's also a caricature of toxic masculinity and patriarchy. It's why his name is brought up constantly throughout the play by all the characters around Zoe, even when the fictitious shooting in Michigan is not relevant at all to the conversation the characters are currently having. It is a damn good thing he is fictitious, or Barclay would be adding to the phenomenon that she's criticizing. And that's the point, I think. Unfortunately, there's about to be a sort of spoiler it's something that I think most people would pick up on within the first few pages, because Jennifer Barclay is a damn good writer, but I just wanted to warn you in case that's something you minded. So, here it is. Zoe is the main character because her son, who is never named, is the student who opens fire at the production of Our Town. Yeah. By the end of the play, we can put together that her son was inspired by multiple different shooters, including the fictional Brian James McNamara. Zoe struggles throughout the play, as technically everything is a flashback, with watching everything and knowing the outcome. As the shooter's mother, she also struggles with the idea of nature versus nurture, wondering what she might have done wrong in order to cause her son to do this. Personally, I think this is one of the hardest things for a character to reconcile with within the play, if everything Zoe is telling us is true, then she's a very good mother. So, is she lying? Or is this an example of nature winning out over nurture? Or, is the influence of the media really that strong? It could be any of these things, or a combination of all of them. 
the hardest part for both the characters and the audience is not knowing for sure what the answer is. And that's an integral part of the message of this play. Yes, maybe we are raising our assigned male-at-birth children to be too aggressive. Maybe we are letting children consume violent media at too young an age, but yada yada yada. The thing is that it doesn't matter which of those things are true or not. What matters is that there are young men out there that feel that on some level, shooting people is the only way, it's the only thing they have left to do. We could debate the whys all day. And Barclay's work doesn't shy away from debating those whys. And it offers a potential way to slow things down, i.e. to stop naming shooters and giving them notoriety, and therefore inspiring future shooters. One of the things Barclay does focus on with Zoe's character is her coping mechanisms, or lack thereof. Namely, I'm talking about Zoe's stance on positivity and optimism. One of the first things she says to the audience, which was captured in our reading section by Amelia Bethel, is, I have no patience for ugliness. I prefer to see the beauty in life. While I believe that that can be a great outlook for some people to have, we see throughout the play that this outlook might have been harmful to Zoe, possibly harmful to her son, and definitely becomes harmful once her son becomes a mass shooter. She mentions multiple times that she is a perfectionist, and that her son is as well. As someone who used to consider themselves a perfectionist, that can be an extremely harmful thing to do to oneself, asking for total perfection all the time. It's one thing to strive to see the beauty in life. It's quite another to have no patience for anything you consider ugly. Zoe also has a unique relationship to the concept of answers as the town historian. As she says in her introduction of her friend Miriam, if you dig deep enough, you can often find an answer, and it is so rewarding, isn't it? Sometimes history makes me downright giddy. But the thing is, as I said earlier, there are no concrete answers in a situation like this. As we get deeper and deeper into the play, we see this lack of answers and desperate clinging to positivity slowly eat away at Zoe, to the point where she hallucinates Brian James McNamara. During this scene, she completely breaks down, and her hallucination gives her multiple answers to why he did what he did. Here are some of those answers. Because I was bullied. Because I was too smart and everyone else was too dumb. Because I was too dumb, and everyone else was too smart. Because I hated everyone. Because I wanted everyone to love me. Because nobody loved me. Because this is how I was born. Because this is how I was raised. Because I just had a bad day. Brian James McNamara gives Zoe too many answers to count, with no indication that any of them are correct. This causes Zoe to contemplate something very dark. If she could go back in time and not have her son, would she? And there, I think, is another very important message of the play. Despite the fact that her son did this horrible, completely unforgivable thing, Zoe still loves him. The last words of the play still stick with me, days after reading them. I loved him, and he did this. Both Things are true.
Maybe one of the most important takeaways from this piece is that even the people who commit the most evil of acts have someone out there who loves them. And that's where I will leave you all today. I hope that this episode has inspired you to give Ripe Frenzy by Jennifer Barclay a read for yourself. Like most of the plays I discuss, it is free to read with a subscription to New Play Exchange. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact me with questions about the podcast, suggestions for plays or guests, or just to say hi, you can email me at theplaymatespodcast at gmail.com. That's theplaymatespodcast at gmail.com, no hyphen. You can also follow the podcast at at playmatespodcast on Instagram. That's no hyphen at playmatespodcast. Finally, please give the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts if you can. It helps the podcast to get more amplification. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I can't wait to see you next week where we'll be discussing Desdemona's Child by Caridad Svich. Have a safe and fulfilling week, everyone. Bye for now.